Father, I thank you for this incredible word. I thank you that your word is life and healing and health to a man's whole body. Well, that just also means your mind, body, soul, and spirit. Your word sets us free. When we stay close to the word of God, we're staying close to Jesus, right? As we make the word of God our priority, we are staying close to Jesus. Then therefore, we have everything that his word has promised us. We have what the word has promised us. Say, I have what the word has promised me. So let my heart always give glory to the King of Kings. That's the key. To always have our hearts be so molded and so fashioned and formed that we give glory to the King of Kings at all times. There is, a, there is such a sad uh, scripture, you know, in the word that I want to highlight. I want to bring it to, to light today because it is, it is what we're talking about. And um, it's in 1 Samuel. And it's in chapter 4. But it's in verse 21, and it says, And the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured. Let me just stop right there. The longer that you are saved serving the Lord, the more you, you feel the weight of a scripture like that. That the glory has departed from them. When you're first saved, you may not really understand the weight of what that even means, so you don't, you, don't, you don't feel the fullness of that. But we never want the glory to depart from us. We never want the weight of his presence to depart from us. But it does if we allow the enemy to lie to us and we partake of his ways. What table are you seated at? Where are you eating from? What are you eating? And where are you eating from? What well, what stream are you drinking from? We must keep our hearts pure. And we must always remember that we are Christians, which means that we are Christ-like and we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with our lives. The longer that you serve the Lord should just mean that the deeper that you go with him. But it's not always the case. You hear things, you hear things coming up all the time of men and women of God that are Bible teachers and those that should know better, those that have been preaching, well-known preachers even, that have the glory has left their house. And it is horrible. Because people fall away. It's not just the individual. When one person sins, it's not just what affects happen in their lives, but it's what happens with all those that they were associated with, whether it be their own children or whether it be people that were watching, right? And so here we have in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 4, right? We know that Samuel, raised in the house of Eli, just recap a little bit, raised in the house of Eli, and he heard the voice of God. God called him. We know that, that Samuel was, was offered unto the Lord by his mom. Hannah. We know that she couldn't have children and that, and that, and that through Eli, that word of you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son, and that came through. We know that she was faithful with her vow and she brought this young baby, this little infant, she brought her child, her young child it says, to Eli, to the priest, to the house of the Lord, to be raised in. We know this was a man, Samuel, that was separate, that was raised with the awe and the wonder, the, 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 uh, the fear of God. The word of the Lord, right? And so this man, Samuel, was, was a man that we should probably listen to, right? And so 
you know, he grows and he's, he's growing and then he's get, he gets the prophetic word from the Lord in that, in that chapter where he says, you know, Samuel, Samuel, and he says this three times and on the fourth time he says, you know, you know, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And he gives him the prophetic word that what's going to happen to Eli's house. It wasn't the first time that the prophetic word was given. It was already given by a man of God. It already says that. It doesn't mention their name, but it says a man of God had already given this prophecy. Eli already knew that what he was allowing was going to bring destruction. As a matter of fact, it said in the word that you shall not have any old person in your home. It's a curse. But it's a curse that is actually spoken in truth. I want you to turn to uh, chapter 2. It's important that we go and we review a little bit because we have to stay fresh. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, and when we, when we start in verse 27, it says, Then a man of God came to Eli and said, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon my altar burnt incense and to wear and to wear an ephod before me? Did I not give the house of your father and all the offerings of your children of Israel made by fire? Why did you kick at my sacrifice, my offerings, which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me? Stop right there. Never allow anyone to become an idol in your life. Never. I don't care if you're a child, your husband, your wife, your spouse. Do not let anyone be an, an idol. Why? Look at this. It says, why, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, go. The Lord, the Lord of, it says, therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house here it goes. And the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, says the Lord, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Doesn't stop there, church. Look at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. Look at verse 33. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. I mean, come on, people. This is pretty serious. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. In other words, in, in, in their youth, when they're young. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. He's talking about Eli, he, or Samuel. He said, I will raise myself up a faithful priest. Talk about Samuel. And so this prophecy was from a pure, true prophet. Not some of the fake, phony people that call themselves prophets today that are not prophets. Okay? You've got a lot of people that will throw terms around, titles around, but they're not, it's not something that's pure. Church, we have to learn to discern. And we have to have the true spirit of the living God on us and not be deceived. 
Because people get deceived by some person, man, woman, that says, calls themselves by some title, and then therefore abuses authority. And don't tell me you guys don't know what I'm talking about, because you do. I'm pretty sure most of you do. You've heard, we've all heard, we've all seen. We've seen the destruction that happens when someone that it's called with a title, yeah, and then they use that as abusive, they, they abuse the power and the privilege that God gave. So therefore, we see that it's not a true prophet false prophets. Learn to identify them. You have to learn to identify who is a true prophet and who is not. And it has nothing to do with, well, they just gave this word and it's a word of death. Yes, exactly. Because true prophets are going to come and tell you, you wake up, repent and go the right way. Otherwise, destruction is coming. And so here, this word was already spoken to Eli. It was already spoken. When Samuel got the word of the Lord. It was a repeat of what was already spoken. So God had to send two prophets, not one but two. He still didn't listen. He still didn't heed. And if you go, wow, I can't believe he did that. You guys, there's nothing new under the sun. There's really nothing new. We have to be the ones to tend to our heart. We must be the one to make sure our lives align with what is true. God is a great blesser, and he absolutely wants to bless us, absolutely, but he also absolutely wants our obedience. He wants us to first and foremost live our lives as a way that pleases him, and not just public, not just in a public way, but privately. And so what you do matters. What you allow matters, especially if you're in a position of authority. And I believe that you all, on some level, are in a position of authority. There are people that God has brought to your lives, right, all of you, that you're speaking into their lives. You don't have to have, you don't have to be a pastor of a church, or you, you don't, you, but you have authority in certain areas. Well, it's those people that God wants you to steward and steward well. Because if you get out of alignment with the Lord, now remember, God is gracious, he's merciful. We know that he gives us many, many chances to repent and get it right. It's not like the first time you mess up, that's it, you're done. We know that. We know he's merciful. We know he's gracious. But do not presume on the mercy of God. Don't just allow bad behavior to continue and you not do anything about it when it's in your jurisdiction. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? When it's in your jurisdiction because lives are, are affected. And so right now we hear... We hear in the news even, we just, we are hearing constantly of well-known people, well-known pastors and, and uh, you know, so-called prophets, they're not prophets, the, uh, you know, Bible teachers, you know, and I believe that there was, there was some truth and they start, some even started off on the right foot, not all, not all. You always have wolves in sheep, in sheep's clothing, right? But some are just hirelings, some are just hirelings and they were hirelings from the beginning. And we have to know, church. You can't be deceived because the masses are. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The, the utter dis, just deception right now, it's grief. It's just, it grieves me. And it has, it must, it's good that it grieves us. Because we see the church, many, like sheep, just, well, some are just being led astray. And some are just being so deceived that they're, it's like there's a fire in the house. There's a fire in this building, but they're so deceived they refuse to acknowledge even when they smell it. They continue in the same situation where they're going to be destroyed. But the deception is so deep. The manipulation is so strong. The control is so wicked. 
They can't see it, though it's all around them. Father, right now we stop for a moment and we pray for the church at large because it's not okay. It's not okay what the enemy is doing. And it's not all the enemy, it's people. Like we, we know there's a spirit behind it. But every man has to be aware that it's their actions that they will be accountable for. The Bible says it's the soul that sins that shall die. How many of you guys remember that scripture in the Old Testament? It's the soul that sins that shall die. Yeah. So though there's a demonic force behind sin, it's also a fleshly response, and we have to own up to what our part is, right? And so, so Eli should have known better. Eli was a priest. Eli had raised his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They did not. They were wicked. They did all kinds of diabolical things. He, they were not corrected. He allowed them to still uh, minister in the house of the Lord. This platform is holy. There are a lot of talented people that could come and do all kinds of things for this church. But that's not the measure that we use. And it shouldn't be the measure you use in anything that you're involved in. Let's say some of you have a ministry that you are doing, right? You're involved. God's given you a ministry. And, and let's just say you're the one in charge of that ministry. Whom you put in leadership positions is so important because God will hold you accountable if you put somebody there that is not walking in a pure way with the Lord. Oh, how come this message is not preached too much? Listen, we can have a great time in the Holy Ghost, and we do, and we love it. We love it because he fills us with his anointing and with his fire. But we cannot walk in a form of mixture and think God's glory is going to continue to pour out on sin. we got to repent. And in the minute that you find yourself, oh, that shit wasn't good, I shouldn't have said that, or I, whatever, you repent immediately. Immediately. Repentance is an amazing, most beautiful word because it keeps you clean and it keeps you free from the entrapments of the enemy. It's when people get prideful that they don't want to repent. It's when people get, you know, they, they, or fear of man or whatever their reasoning is, but it's not coming from God. And so we see this right now. You know, I'm at the point right now where I don't even want my kids to hear some of the things that I'm hearing. How many of you, like, I don't want them to hear. I don't want them to hear the details because it brings a mockery to the church and it only confirms what they, some of them already think. Or at least one of them, right? What, what he already thinks. I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring the specifics. If, if the person walks in the room, I lower what I'm listening to. In a way of protecting. Why? Because it's shameful. Sin brings shame. And there's wisdom in, in, in knowing and also what to say and when to say it, right? We, we want to protect. We're actually called to protect. Every one of us, we're called to protect the younger. And that doesn't mean age. It just means in spirit, right? There's spiritual maturity. Right? And so here we have Samuel. He is already established. The word of the Lord says that he was established as a prophet. He was established. But when we go back to chapter 4, we see that they, he, they didn't even ask for his advice. Let's go back to chapter 4. And so here it says, now when Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped besides um, Ebenezer, the Philistines encamped in, in Aphek. I don't know how to say that. And it says, and the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when, they, and when they joined together in this battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. It goes on. It goes on. And it, it says here in verse 4, in the middle of verse, verse 4, it says, and the two sons, here we have 
of, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were there with the Ark of the Covenant. Because what they did is they were defeated. They got defeated. And they decided, hey, wait, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant into this battle. That's what we'll do. We'll bring the Ark of the Covenant. Did God tell you to do that? That's the question. People get these great ideas, but did God tell you to do that? If we don't ask that question, did God tell me to do this? We could be going out on a limb thinking God's going to take care and protect us and you won't have his protection because God never asked you to do that in the first place. Amen. It's truth. It's Bible. We have to have such a relationship with the Lord that we're constantly in a communication saying, Lord, what should I do? Is this you? They brought the Ark of the Covenant into battle, but God didn't ask them to do this. So what happened? The Ark was captured. Oh, it's not even just that. But the prophecy came to pass. The prophecy came to pass. Let's go down here in a couple verses in, uh, verse, in verse 10, 10 and 11. It says, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. So much for bringing the Ark well, God didn't ask you to do that. So, so that presumption was sin, wasn't it? So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and they fell. there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. So a lot of people died. Like I said, sin, you don't sin in a vacuum. You always, there's other people that are affected. Verse 11, also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Isn't that the prophecy? Yeah, absolutely. But look at verse 14. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And, and the man came quickly and told Eli, and Eli was 98, yeah, 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, he says, I am he who came, came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. And also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. So we just got the news. He's like, oh my goodness, my sons are dead. The ark is also captured. And verse 18, then it happened that when he made mention of the ark of God because he knew the weight of what he was supposed to fulfill. Listen to this. When it happened that when he made mention, not that his sons died, not that he didn't love them, but he knew, he was held accountable because he knew. When, he, when they made mention that the ark of God was captured, Eli fell off his seat backwards by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy, and, and, he had, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. His sons died, you guys. And I'm sure he was very saddened about that. But when he heard that the ark was captured, what does that tell us? Tells us that this man had a high calling. Tells us that this man knew the importance of stewarding the presence of God, of keeping it holy. And instead of doing so, he did not. So he knew. It's like utter fear just gripped his heart. And he realized, I have sinned against God. He fell backwards. 
and he died. He broke his neck and he died. That we would have such a strength within us that understands the purity of the Lord that we would, want to, we would not want to defile the presence of God in any way regardless of whom the defiling may be coming from. Do not have idols. You cannot, please do not allow the spirit of God in you to be defiled because we know the spirit of God now lives on the inside of us. Right? They were carrying this ark around. But we know now that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. Don't let the Spirit of God in you be defiled by sloppy things, by words that are careless, by words that do not give glory and honor to the Lord. Don't let you be the one that is speaking it and don't allow it around your presence. Eli knew what he was doing. He didn't really do anything about it when he could have. There is a time frame. There's a time that God gives us, a period of time to make things right. And so he went too far. People go, oh, well, you know, God's going to forgive. He absolutely does forgive. But we know there are also consequences that sometimes are not removed. And so, so he dies. He breaks his neck. He falls off of his seat. He, he goes to his death because when he heard the, the ark was captured, that caused such a holy fear. He knew, oh, my. That's, that speaks a lot. That speaks a lot to what we should be careful with. Honor the presence of God. Steward the presence of God well. You know, this whole catastrophe doesn't even stop there. It goes one more. It goes one more layer. And, and let's look at it. Yes. It says, now his daughter-in-law, um, Phineas's wife, was with child. So, obviously, the man is dead, but the wife was, she was pregnant. And so she's with, she was pregnant. She was with child. Due to be delivered. So here she is, you know, ready to be delivered, eight months, nine months, whatever it was. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and she gave birth. So she went into labor. The stress of all this caused her to go into labor, and the labor pains came upon her. And verse 20, at about that hour of her death, the woman who stood by her said, do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. This woman was dying. She was dying. And then... She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Oh, my goodness. Catastrophe after catastrophe, right? All because the presence of God was not cherished, was not protected, was not held in high esteem. Don't think for a moment that God has changed. And when we see men and women of God that should know better, that have been called by God, some were called by God, some were not, but regardless, in a position of power and authority, disregarding the presence of God, literally seducing themselves and others and polluting themselves and others and thinking it's okay, thinking they're not going to be caught, and then when they're caught, they're not giving the right response, which is to throw yourself on the mercy seat of God and repent. 
correctly and step down and let the people get, be healed that need to be healed. Instead of pride and arrogance and religious spirits that rise up because they, they think what they think. Mm-mm-mm. The glory has left the house in some churches, specifically the ones that I'm referencing right now. The glory of God has left the house, the corporate body. We commit ourselves to honoring the presence of God. We call on his name. We ask him to search our hearts continually. We don't think that we would not, that we're above reproach, that we cannot ever make a mistake. But the minute that we do, we say, Lord, quicken our spirit, man, that we would literally lay prostrate before you. Like when Eli heard that the ark was captured, that, that struck such terror and fear in his heart, even more than knowing his own children died. Wow. So, Lord, give us that holy fear of God. Because I don't know about Everyone in this room, I think I know most of you, but we want to go forward in the things of the Lord with purity. With purity. God is the one that perfects. He is the one that increases within us. But we must be the ones that lay ourselves prostrate before him and say, Lord, search this person, this my body, my life, my heart. Search this vessel and let me give you glory in everything that I say or do. Everything, Lord. I believe God is so merciful that if, that if some of these people that I'm referencing would, if they would even turn and really genuinely step aside from the pulpit, put that mic down, let God deal with them for a period of time. I believe that God in his timing would reinstate whatever needs to be reinstated or it may not look the same. But he would give what he needs to give in a form of restoration. But we have to allow God's work in our lives. And the timing is not ours. It's his. Oh, thank you, Father. You know, it's words like, like this, messages like this, that give you an opportunity to really walk as a true, bold, fiery, anointed, and appointed son and daughter of the Most High God. And you know I'm not going to come and, and tickle your ears and just tell you what you want to hear because there's too many people that are sinning and sin leads to other sin and people are being destroyed in their faith. Not okay. It's not okay. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah 17. And I'm going to end with this here. Because it first tells you in verse 5. What the cursed man looks like. But then in verse 7, it tells you what the blessed man looks like. Remember, we always must be responsible and take action do our part. So verse 5, verse five says, thus saith the Lord. Curse is the man who trusts in man. Remember, we can stop right there. Curse is the man who has a fear of, of man. Curse, curse is the man who is a people pleaser. Why? Because you're trusting in man. You want their accolades. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. That means you make carnality your strength. You make yourself your strength. 
You make your flesh your strength. No. God is our strength. And then it says whose heart departs from the Lord. I mean, there are peoples whose hearts depart from the Lord. That's why, he, that's why we just read, and the glory of God departed. No, it's not going to depart because we are going to contend, right? But look at verse 7. Then it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. That word trusts, it means everything. You put your confidence in God in every single area of your lives. Put your confidence, put your hope in God. When you're disappointed, put your hope in God. When you don't understand, when you're slimed, when you're ridiculed, when you're the only one, when you're the only one doing what is right, put your confidence in the Lord. Put your hope in God. Because he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. And it says, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the rivers. In other words, prosperity is yours. This is what God wants for us. Prosperity, right? He does desire for his people to be provided for and to be prosperous. It's just that we have to do it his way. We must do it his way. And it says, and will not fear when he comes. Why? Because you're protected. It says, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So there's a peaceful abundance there. That's what that tells me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. According to your fruit, according to the fruit of what you do, God will give. He is a blesser. According to the fruit of what you do, the fruit of your doings, make sure your doings line up with the purity of the gospel. Make sure that you're literally exalting the name of Jesus, that it is not you on the throne. It is not your desires, your way any selfish ambition that is really secretively what you're pushing for. No, it's also not the pointing of the finger. It's not also like the blame game and trying to expose everything that is out there, except for when God says expose this because too many people are falling for it. And I didn't mention any names on purpose because it's like, a, you know, if God told me to mention the name, I would. But I didn't mention any name because I feel like that sometimes can be counterproductive because then we limit it to those few, but there's more. You guys, we have to understand the principle of what I'm talking about so that we can, we can spot out when there really is, um, when there's a wolf in our midst, when there's a snake in our midst, um, when there's a hireling that's actually acting truly like a, a shepherd, but he's actually just a hireling. You know what that means. They're just, they're there for hire. They want a paycheck. And so, so, Father, we do pray. We do pray. We pray for ourselves and we pray for the church that eyes would be opened up, that hearts would we'd be humble and repentant and truly sorrowful for sinning against you. When we sin, we sin against God. When we sin against one another, we sin against God. When we sin against ourselves, we still sin against God. And we don't want to sin against you, Lord. So, Father, right now I'm asking that there would be such an awakening. People pray for revival, revival, but, you know, we need repentance. We, we need people that understand the beauty of repentance. Without repentance, there's no revival. And so that they would repent, Lord, draw us to a place where we see our own need to repent wherever that might be. Who would we be to think we're above any correction? 
Oh, no. Father, but instead, we open ourselves up before you, and we say, yes, Lord, search our hearts. Yes, Lord. And little things matter to you because we carry the ark of your presence. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, not in one, not one, not even a little tiny way. And so when the ark was captured and it was taken and the Philistines uh, had that ark, the ark of God's presence, as we'll, as we'll read in the next, uh, the next time that we gather. And we see the mighty hand of God because, Lord, no matter what, you're never enslaved to a person. You're, you're never enslaved. You're, you're, never, you're never beneath. You're, you're never captive, uh, like, a, like a captive just, you know, in bonds and chains because of something that happened. Oh, no, you're victorious. It's just that the person misses out. The person misses out. But God, he is victorious. And for those that partner with him in purity, you too are victorious. So, Father, I thank you for this word. Let it go deep. Let it penetrate hearts. If there's conviction that's being felt, then conviction is needed. But, Father, I thank you because it will cause us to turn and to awaken to the truth of your holy word. Your word is holy. Your word is pure. Let the church not be a mockery to the world, which is a continual mockery right now. And, and we've got we've got. Well-known Bible teachers falling away and compromising and saying all kinds of filth and, and, and wayward thinking. No, the word does not change. God does not change. His word does not change. So, Lord, let us be your true church that stands no matter how fiery, no matter how, how much opposition, no matter what goes on. In the realm of the enemy, we will stand firm because we know we are victorious in Christ. Your life, Lord, Lord, that you that you allowed to die, to be literally raised up again, now is our lives. And so we don't take that lightly. We want to honor you. We want to give you glory. We want our lives to give you all, all praise. And so for the mature body of Christ... For the, for the body of Christ, the person, the individual, that it says, I want my life to count for eternity. It's not just today, but for eternity. No matter whom follows suit. No matter which person may not decide to follow. My yes was my yes. Was your yes your yes? Our yes is our yes to Jesus. So no matter what, we will serve you and follow you. And we will represent Christ well. It's a decision. And so because it's a decision that's then also fostered through prayer, we will represent Christ well. I believe that gives God glory. And I believe that's the church he is coming back for. Spotless bride, pure and spotless ready to do what he's called you to do. More will be given. More responsibility, more anointing, uh, more, yeah, more opportunity will be given to the individual that stewards it well, that has a fear and an awe of the Lord and is not going to throw their pearls to the swine. Amen? Thank you, Abba, for this day, this message, this word that you had for us in this book of 1 Samuel in chapter 4. Yes, it was good. It was deep. And it was heartfelt. And we want to walk knowing that we please you. In Jesus' name. Amen.